But I guarantee you there are people in your community who have different abilities or who are raising kids with different abilities who feel totally unwelcome in the church space because they're worried about how their child will act. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Thanks so much for listening. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with the subject. If you're new to the show, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing our views in a way that builds bridges but not barriers. Our guest today is Heather Avis. Heather is a wife, mom, podcast host, and author of The Lucky Few. She and her family are from Southern California. Heather, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Joy, for having me. I'm excited we got to connect. Thanks for saying yes. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. So, Heather, we ask every guest before we dive into our topic, how did you get introduced to church and to faith? What's some of your spiritual background? I was born into it. (laughs) Um, Both of my parents, well, I grew up in an I guess it would be considered like an evangelical home. Uh, spent my whole childhood in a non-denominational church. Um, some years were, depending on who was pastoring, were a little more charismatic than others. And I've just always been in that space. My dad's a musician and my my parents have always been in some form of leadership within the church as well. And then I ended up marrying a man who worked for a church. And so I've only ever been on the leadership side of things. Um, and you know, I'm now 37, so a lot of life has happened and, um, some, some changes in my views and my faith and some shifting with different life circumstances, but that's a whole other interview, Joey. Sure. And (laughs) and some of that we'll get into, but I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect segue. Uh, today on the show, we're talking about some of your story, some of your journey into into motherhood. You know, so maybe this isn't a softball question, but it's the one we'll start with. When did you know that you wanted a family, Heather? That was always in the cards for me. I knew I knew I was going to be a mom, and maybe it was because of the way I was brought up. I was brought up. I have two sisters, and my mom was a stay at home mom, and a really awesome one at that. I have a great relationship with my mom, and. I loved kids. I mean, I was like begging to babysit when I was like eight years old. Um, I just loved kids. I've always loved kids. So it was for sure the plan to be a mom. Now, jumping ahead and, and just sort of knowing some of your narrative, when adoption became the choice that was made for you, uh, what drew you to children with special needs? Yeah, that is jumping super ahead. Let me let me fill in a couple gaps. So yeah, we, please, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Um, we, my husband and I, got married super young, and then, um, about four years into our marriage, decided we want to start a family, and it didn't happen naturally. Super long story, but eventually we found ourselves at a crossroads of in vitro fertilization, also known as IVF or adoption. Those are our only ways that we were going to be able to grow our family, and um, for a different for different reasons, we chose to step towards adoption. And so we went with a private agency in hopes of being able to control the outcome a little bit more. 
So we, it's really expensive, but then we can kind of say a little bit more what we want. And you're usually going to get an infant in a private agency. You're usually going to have less risk in meaning that the birth mom is less likely to have drug exposure. Um, they're usually choosing an adoption plan, whereas a county adoption or a public adoption, you're usually dealing with a child who has drug exposure at best. And you're usually working with birth parents whose rights have been terminated due to their life choices. So it's a big difference, but we chose the private route and on paper said no to a lot of who our daughter is on paper. Um, no to Down syndrome. Our daughter had a congenital heart defect. She had a really serious, we were told, incurable lung condition called pulmonary hypertension. Um, all kinds of issues. And so the long, the short of this incredibly long detailed story is that we found out about this little girl through a passing conversation, an email actually with our social worker. Um, she wasn't presenting her to us because she knew we had said no to all these things. And instantly something happened in my heart, meaning I couldn't stop thinking about her. I couldn't, I heard something that I couldn't unhear. Uh, or read something I couldn't unread, and it really shook me. Um, and so it was a long process, or just a few weeks of, like, what do we do with this information? Since we can't, my husband and I both felt like we can't ignore it and move on. There was like a spark within us. And um, we ended up saying yes to her. So it, it was a, a super like a weepy whisper of a yes because everything was really hard and she was really sick and we were told she might not live very long. She needed open heart surgery a month after coming home and she had Down syndrome. Um, but we didn't want to say yes and we knew we couldn't say no. And that led to what I call our, our biggest and scariest yes, our greatest and scariest yes. And she came home at four months old. Hmm. Yeah. And you also have two other children, correct? Yeah. 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 I mean, I could just, the story goes on. Yeah. Um, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So our daughter, we named her Mason and she came home on oxygen 24 seven. She was on um, a handful of medications that she had to have administered throughout the whole day. And then she had open heart surgery a month after coming home. She went through that with flying colors. She still had this lung condition and at two and a half years old, um, she's totally, really miraculously healed from that. It, there's really no other explanation. And we just got to witness this little miracle grow um, and flourish right before our eyes. She was just an incredible little girl. And so when we went to adopt again, we were like, okay, we thought we knew what we wanted in a child. We tried to control the narrative. God's like, no, actually, this is what's going to happen. And we said yes to that. And it was the best. And so we were just went into our next adoption, arms wide open. Uh, we went with the county because we were open to all the risk factors involved with the county adoption. We also, I had been a stay-at-home mom, and so we didn't really have the funds to do a private adoption. Um, and we get a phone call for a little girl who was five months old at the time, no drug exposure in utero, no different abilities, no health issues, like this anomaly of a little girl within the system. And so we were just going to say yes to any child that came her way. So then Truly Star is her name, Truly. She came home uh, when Macy was about three. And she is Guatemalan and African-American, but born in California, where we're from. And she's amazing. She's a 
little firecracker totally rocked our world because she's just so different. So anyone who has two kids, you know, you think you know what you're doing with the first kid. Or once you get to the point, you're like, I think I know what I'm doing now. And then you have another kid. And I felt like I've, I have no idea how to parent. This child is so different than the first time around. Um, that was our truly. And then with our third adoption, um, during a season when I felt like life was really, really full, but I knew we wanted to grow our family. We started the process again with the county because we knew that it was going to take at least a year, if not longer, to get a placement. And a year later felt right. I mean, really at that moment, I thought there's no possible way I could have another child right now, like a third kid. My plate, I'm at max capacity, but I thought surely a year later I'd be ready to go. So we did the whole process with the county, um, posted a picture on social media as one might do. And then the next day, one of my very dear friends called me and said, Hey, Heather, I just saw that you guys are hoping to adopt again. And I just got a phone call from a birth mom who has an in utero diagnosis of Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect. And she's having a boy and you should adopt this baby. And I was just, um, couldn't believe the timing. Like there, I thought there's no way I can handle a baby right now and a baby who needs heart surgery and all of the additional needs that come with a child with Down syndrome. Um, but I, again, I knew we couldn't say no. And so two months later, our son was born August and he was born in December, but his name is August and, um, congenital heart defect had, we got to bring him home two days at two days old. He had heart surgery at four months old and he is the king of our home, the prince of our home, the king <laughs> of the world <laughs> for real. So that's, that's where we are. Now our kids are five, eight and 11. Um, and that's in a nutshell. I wrote a whole book about it, but that is the very brief version. So talk to me about a typical day in the Avis house. <laughs> and, you know, that to any parent, that's that's just a comical question. But I think it's important to kind of understand some of how you experience life and some of the ways that you see things through the eyes of your kids. Yeah. So I, I feel like the reality is, and you're a dad, parenting is no joke. It is such a hard gig. It is all consuming. It is nonstop. And so that is what it's like for us. Um, I think that it's a lot more what it's like. It's a lot more similar than it is different. Our day to day, you know, like our kids wake up early and eat breakfast and get ready for school and go to school. Um, and maybe some differences might be that we have some supports in place, like our 11-year-old has a chart that she follows with pictures to help her get through the morning independently or as independently as possible. Maybe she needs help tying her shoes. I mean, these are some little differences that we deal with, but not anything major. Our kids took a lot longer to be potty trained, took a lot longer to walk. Um, everything happens. It's just in, on its own timeline with in terms of milestones and things like that. And... So, and also, you know, I'm immersed in it and it's my normal. So it's kind of a hard question to answer, like how the idea of it, how's it different maybe? Um, is that the question you asked or that's what you're getting just, at a little you bit? You know, just, I just think a lot of people assume that they know. Right. Um, yeah. You know, like, like with, with anything, uh, you read a statistic, you see something on the news and, and you, you know, a friend of a friend, but nobody mm -hmm. actually has a conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, to me, it's more it's more like how can we get firsthand experience and, and, and really ask the question instead of just relying on Fox News to give us all our information. Right, right. Yeah, and so so with that in mind, um, I speak to a lot of women or family members who get a pre-birth diagnosis for Down syndrome, and there's all these misconceptions about what it's like having a baby with Down syndrome. And the thing that I tell new moms especially is, a baby with Down syndrome is a baby. They just come home as a baby and they need to eat and they need their diaper change and they need to sleep like any other baby. Yes, there might be some additional medical needs, but you just deal with those like you would any parent. You know, like if any parent out there has a kid, you're not to be um, morbid here, but tomorrow something could happen to your kid that makes them depend on you for everything. It, all of us are vulnerable. And what are you going to do for your kid? You're going to do everything, right? Like you're going to do whatever it takes to be there for your kid. So it's the same kind of idea if you're raising a kid with Down syndrome, it's your kid. So you do whatever your kid needs so that they can be the best version of themselves. Um, but but I like the things that are the hardest and the most different, I always say to people, it's not that Down syndrome is hard. It's all the systems in place that make it hard. Down syndrome's fine. Um but once my kids step into the world where there's not a place for them and there's not equitable space for them because of their diagnosis, then it gets hard, you know? So the day-to-day things that are hard, like school, school's really hard. Um, not because of my kid, but because there's not a place for them that is honoring and fair um, in most schools and that allows them to come exactly as they are and flourish as they need to. It's a system. It's made for the majority, and kids with Down syndrome aren't the majority. Um, churches, same kind of thing. You know, you walk into a church, and there's all these churches that brag having like a really great special needs ministry, and it's and if when you're segregating a people group because they're different, that's actually not helpful for them, for the entire church body, for the entire big C church body of Christ. When we're segregating people based on their differences. Um, so those are, I mean, those are some bigger, bigger places where it is different for me, where I'm having to like show up in a space and, and fight for my kids' rights and, and try to convince the powers that be that my kids deserve everything that anyone else deserves, but that it's going to have to unfold differently and require all of us to bend and flex a little bit. So then I'm spending a lot of time. I'm spending a lot of time at school, <laughs> unfortunately. Now you mentioned church and like you had mentioned in, in some of your, your story that you've always been around it. What has been your experience before your kids with the church and special needs and maybe how that's changed since becoming a mom? Right. My experience with the church and special needs is nothing. I didn't, I, I, I don't have a single memory of a person in my church body from my entire childhood through up through college, up until my kids, really, um, of somebody with a significant difference being a significant part of the church. So that's telling and unfortunate. Um, And so then I have my kids and my kids are going to go to church and they're going to be fully embraced as they are at church. And for us, we were always a part of small churches. My husband and I, well, since we had kids, we've been a part of three churches now. Um, 
one of them was pretty small and Mason was a baby. And then when we moved, we moved because my husband helped plant a church and it got big fast, but he was one of the first people, a part of the plant. And so our family was part of the fabric from the beginning and it was a learning experience. And so there were a lot of people in the church who were saying, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Um, and we got to speak into it. And so we got to help create an atmosphere of inclusion at that church. And it's now thousands of people big. And I'm hoping and assuming there's still, there's still an inclusive church in that way. Um, and then the church we're at now, we have maybe a hundred people. And I think like 90 of them are children, not really, but there's so many kids and it's just been an organic unfolding because there isn't some special separate program and my kids need have additional needs. They have additional, they need additional supports. So what that's looked like is, um, one event at a time, right? Like my daughter Mason is in fifth grade and the third through fifth graders sit in the church during worship and then they go to class all together. And the first few Sundays it felt confusing and she didn't know where to go and she didn't know if she belonged. And so then it was like, Hey, to this mama over here, can Macy walk with Ruby to church? And then that happened. And then it's like, as things, she needs extra support in class. And so we just brainstorm with each other. How do we make this work? Um, there's no talk of a separate special program for my kids in the church space because they don't live in a separate special world. And if any group, if any place is going to fully embrace people with different abilities, I mean, the church should be doing that. They should be jumping up and down volunteering to bend and flex in any way possible to include, fully include people with different abilities, no matter what it takes, because these people are image bearers of God. And if we're if they're not in our space, then a hundred percent we don't have a clear view of who God is. And that's that's huge. Now, some of your experience, if if not all of your experience, has led to writing and podcasting and speaking. Talk to me a little bit about The Lucky Few. Yeah, so The Lucky Few is my first book. It came out in 2017, and it's a memoir. So it's it's the story of each adoption and kind of where we left off when, when I finished writing the book. And The Lucky Few is a phrase I coined meaning there are a few of us who have a loved one with Down syndrome and those of us who do are very lucky. And I just had moments early on in my daughter's childhood where I thought, I feel so lucky. Like, yeah, this is hard and and different, but I feel so lucky because not a lot of people get to have a kid with Down syndrome is really how I felt. And I knew that that wasn't the narrative that's being played out for people um, in society and in the world. And so we we do our best to shift that narrative. And one way to do that is just the phrase, the lucky few or, or putting where Down syndrome was seen as a deficit. We're saying, no, it's actually an asset. We're giving new language to it. And then, um, I, that that's taken off. That's now like the, that's the name of our, the company my husband and I run. Our LLC is called the lucky few and we are narrative shifters and we do the podcast. Like you said, I had a second book come out this year, June of 2019 called scoot over and make some room creating a space where everyone belongs. And just it's more like a manifesto, really. There's 15 chapters. Each chapter is an instructive 
to the reader, full of stories about making space in our lives for people who are different than us and how much better off we are when we do that and how much better off the world is. So there's the two books and then we run events um, where we encourage and inspire and empower people to own their influence and in hopes of shifting narratives around the world so that we can have a more inclusive world. That's awesome. Yeah. Heather, as we, as we sort of bring our time to a close, what's something that you think the church could do? Maybe a first step, maybe somebody's listening and, and they, they see some of these inequalities that are happening uh, in their own sphere and they want to step into a, a little bit more, um, you know, just justice for, for these kids and and the difference that the world sort of puts on them. Uh, What would you suggest that we do as a, as a, as a body to sort of move in a more positive direction? Um, there's, there's a lot that can be done. I think one of the first steps is awareness. Um, who is in your space? Who's in your church? You know, if, if you are sitting in a Sunday morning service, and during the service, it's total silence. Chances are there aren't a lot of people in there with different abilities um, or with disabilities who are going to be vocal when maybe everyone else isn't, um, who maybe make noises that they don't have a lot of control over throughout the service or throughout their day. I mean, those people are going to be missing from your church and maybe because they've been forced out um, in a non-obvious way. So that's first step. Like who's missing here? Like I said, with my childhood, I didn't have anyone that I knew of with disabilities in my church. Um, and then if that's the case for your church, recognizing that that's a problem, you know, that, and then figuring out why and where are they? So it's not like I can say, you know, drive down to the local YMCA and call and set up a meeting with whoever it really is unique to your community, but I guarantee you there are people in your community who have different abilities or who are raising kids with different abilities who feel totally unwelcome in the church space because they're worried about how their child will act um, and that they're going to, they're going to be asked to leave. And, and that's happened more times than I like to hear. I mean, one time is too many, but the amount of parents I know who have literally been asked by a church leader to not bring their child back to the church. um, It's pretty devastating. And so so yeah, figure out who's in your space. Why why are they not there? What's the atmosphere of your church? And then be intentional. Be intentional in finding the communities and inviting them to church. And then when they're there, be flexible. Be a learner. Have the posture of your church be, oh my gosh, we are so lucky. We're blessed. Christians like the word blessed a lot better. <laughs> we are so blessed to get to have somebody in our church who experiences worship and experiences God in such a different, unique way. We have so much to learn from this person. Um, It's a real radical shift in the way that we approach the subject and in the posture of our heart. Um, I think right now, a lot of it is like, look at in in churches and in society, there's there's this idea of like, I'm such a hero because I'm helping out this person who has a disability. Um, And when in reality that, the real hero is probably the person with the disability, you know? So getting out of that like hero savior mindset, becoming a listener and a learner, seeking out people in the community and letting them know exactly how they are. They're welcome in the space. And then does your, is your church handicap accessible, like wheelchair accessible? 
Like the amount of churches in the United States that aren't even wheelchair accessible, it's a shame. It, we should be the first people lined up to say, what do we need to do to change anything we can to make sure that people can get to our space and know that they're welcome and loved here exactly as they are? Um, and I think if that's your heart and your, the posture of the leadership and the posture of the church, then it's going to grow in that area and you're going you're gonna to see the disability population come to your services and be a part of your body. And, and then your understanding of God and your understanding of humanity is going to be so much better, so much richer. That's a great word, Heather. Thank you. And, and thanks so much for making the time to be on the show. Where can people connect with you and the podcast and even the book? Yeah, definitely. So I'm heatheravis.com, um, Avis like the rental car. And at, there's links to all the things that we're doing on social media. It's at the lucky few official. My first book is a lucky few. My second book is scoot over and make some room. Both are on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. And the podcast is the lucky few podcast.com. That's awesome. We'll make sure we throw it all in the show notes, but again, Heather, thanks so much for making the time. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Thanks so much for listening. October is Down Syndrome Awareness Month, and so we're doing a giveaway. All it takes to enter is to leave a review of the show on iTunes. It literally takes two minutes of your day, but you'll be entered into our giveaway of The Lucky Few and Scoot Over and Make Room, both of Heather's books. The winner will be announced at the end of the month, so make sure you get your reviews in on iTunes and check out the shop at heatheravis.com. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.